Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 today. Uh, let me share with you right before we pray, we're just going to pray as we open God's word, that uh, I, had, I had a word of knowledge and I wanted to just, just share it. And then uh, I know Pastor Darby had that and we, we've already prayed a bunch. And, uh, but, you know, one thing we should be good at is praying. <laughs> you know why? Because we just need God. <laughs> and as he speaks to us, we respond to him, and that's the privilege of coming before him in prayer. But this is a little different. I was praying, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me about business owners. And so if you're here, you, have a, you own a business. Um, and also for those that uh, feel a sense of calling to start a business, and that the Lord would put that on your heart. I just felt led of the Lord, and this is very unusual, just so you know. Uh, I felt led of the Lord to pray for you, that God would strengthen you, sustain you, uh, and we're not just about prosperity for self, but for kingdom-building purposes. And I just want you to know, if, if you're in that place, uh, the, Lord, the Lord sees you, and He put you on my, my heart, not just your business, but you as a person, and what you are doing in the world and how you're trying to make an impact and using your business to do it, that the Lord is with you. Amen? Amen. And so as we go to prayer, we open God's word. I'm going to pray for those of you that do have a business and those of you that feel in your heart maybe the Lord is calling you to do something like that, especially that uh, he may use it for his, his glory. And I'm certain that many of you that already have one, that's the way that you're trying to trying to live. So, Father, we thank you this morning, and I just pray over every business owner in our church. And God, there's such a uniqueness to having a business and employees and all the rigorous detail that goes along with that. Sometimes we feel like giving up or is it worth it? And Lord, what I pray is, is I pray that everyone that has such a thing in our church, Lord, would you accompany them? Would you speak to their hearts, Lord? Would you um, would you cause them to prosper? Lord, I ask that you would also, uh, for those maybe that are, are finding that it's, it's hard to make ends meet, I just pray that you would bless. I pray that you would sustain. And Lord, I also pray that you would continue to give vision and wisdom for how it is that they could use their business to bring the name of Jesus glory. Give them divine appointments and opportunities. And I also pray for anybody that has it in their heart to do such a thing. And maybe it is, Lord, that it's your calling in their life to use, that we're not just here to come on Sunday and to worship you, but we're to worship you with all of our lives, all the endeavors of our life. Everything that you put in our hands is yours. And so, Lord, I pray that you would enable and empower anyone in this room that's feeling a sense of calling to be in the marketplace for the glory of Jesus Christ. Would you give us vision and help us to know how, how it is we go about strategy and to do the things that you put in our heart, even if they don't sound like the typical thing that we're used to. Lord, as we open your word today, we pray that you would transform our lives. We pray that you would touch our lives. God, I pray that you would speak to us and instruct us, and the things that are from you that I share, would they stick in our hearts, cause us to respond. The things that are not from you, I pray that what I say just would fade into the back. And Lord, we ask that you would um, give us the grace to walk out your word today as we gather together in your presence, in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. amen. If that word was uh, for you, in addition to what we've already heard today, do receive that. Amen? Amen. amen. I, uh, today I'm starting a new sermon series, and that series is called Questions That Matter. 
when you read through the gospel accounts, you notice very quickly that in the four different uh, gospels where Jesus would ask people questions. And some say Jesus asked around 300 questions. Um, When I did my research, I found that maybe there's 50 to 70 significant questions. There's a lot of questions that Jesus asked that had nothing to do with uh, probing the heart or anything that was significant. But there are many moments in the Gospels where Jesus asked a person a significant question. And unless we're willing to look underneath the question and and really discover why he asked it, we're going to miss the point of it. And that's why I wanted to actually launch this series, is to look at some of the questions that Jesus asked people and consider what he meant for our very lives as well. For example, in Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asked the question to his disciples, who do men say that I am? That's a very important question for us to answer as well, isn't it? In Mark chapter 4, verse 40, Jesus asked his disciples in the middle of a storm, why are you afraid? I don't know, I I think because we're in a storm. (laughs) Seems like it's an obvious answer. For a simple question. Mark chapter 10, verse 51, Jesus asked a blind man, What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) Start with the blindness. Luke 6, 46, Jesus asked the listening crowds, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And we're going to get to that one in the forthcoming weeks. Everybody smile. Say, It's coming. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. John chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus asked the disciples, and this one, this one is amazing. He says to his disciples, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Remember, five loaves, two fish, miracle of provision. And the next verse, or the next two verses says, and he asked this of his disciples, I'm paraphrasing. He asked this of his disciples to see what they would say. I just, it's like my parenting model. <laughs> hey, where are we going to get bread for all these people? I like to do that with my children. John 21, 17, Jesus asked Peter after his resurrection three times, do you love me? We're going to look at that one as well. Do you love me? And Peter responds to him and says, Lord, you know all things. And you know what? Jesus does know all things. Jesus does know all things. When Jesus encountered people in various situations, he asked provocative, heart-probing questions. In our modern Christian world, I feel like what sells, I feel like what we hear a lot of the time has to do with the five easy steps to following Jesus, right? Just the five easy steps. Here's what you got to do to climb the ladder of relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know the reality is when you look at the Gospels, when you read about how Jesus encountered people, he does not give five easy steps to being a disciple. He actually asks hard questions, It's not just about having a formula and the five easy ways that you can be a faithful and fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. It's about what are the hard questions that will cause the stuff to come to the surface that he wants to remove so that we can be the people that he's created us to be. I find that Jesus doesn't always ask easy questions either, does he? Sometimes the squirm is important. He's not impressed with, any, with anything. He just is in love with everyone. There's a difference. We must remember that Jesus did not ask questions for information. He asked questions to bring about transformation. Sometimes he asked questions to bring about self-examination because we can often be very blind, can't we? In John chapter 5, we have a very interesting story where Jesus encounters a crippled man 
And he asked this specific question, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be sound? Do you want to be well? And that's the title of my sermon this morning, and we're going to go ahead and read in John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9, do you want to be well? After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which they were afflicted. Before I continue to read, it's important to note that half of verse 3 and all of verse 4 is not always in your Bible. In fact, you might be reading a version of the Bible where it does not even appear. But if you have a paper version, it will be in the margins, and, and it will say that these verses, verse, half of verse 3 and all of verse 4, was not in the majority of the oldest manuscripts, okay? And so what's important to note about that is that the older the manuscripts, the, the less we find these verses. And so what people believe, you might ask, well, why is it in there? Sometimes we believe that a scribe added it to explain some of what was going on in there. And that does happen from time to time, but it doesn't change the content or the message of the scripture. These things have been looked at in detail, but it is sort of an explanation in a sense, probably for verse seven. And so we'll continue to read, but I thought it's important that you knew that. And he continued, or it continues, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well or do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another person steps down before me. Now, you could read that and think, man, that sounds like my life story. <laughs> Somebody always gets in the way, but God loves you. So it's like, oh, that's me right there. <laughs> there's, there's, more to the, there's more to the story. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. And by the way, that's so supernatural, the atrophy that he would have had. He just automatically, immediately gets strengthened. We, I want to bring that out as an incredible miracle. When you've not been able to do something like this, and then all of a sudden, strength comes into your legs, strength comes into your arms that you did not have before, and the atrophy does not have power over you. That's incredibly supernatural. Now, it was on the Sabbath day. Now, it's interesting as we open up John chapter 5, we know that Jesus, as we read about the end of John chapter 4, he had just come from Galilee where he had healed a nobleman's son, and he's making his way towards Jerusalem, and it says to celebrate a feast. Now, we don't know which feast that he was going to celebrate because the scripture just doesn't say. Now, there is speculation, but at times you'll notice in the Bible where there will be a time lapse. In some chapters, from one chapter to another, there's six months. Now, we wouldn't know that unless we researched it, but in other times, it's really like a couple days or a month or it's just seamless, right? The time does not lapse there. But in this particular instance, we, haven't, we don't have a chronology to follow exactly what feast this might be, but he was there to celebrate a feast. And he passes by the northeast corner of the old city of Jerusalem. And this was just outside the temple area where it says that there were two pools and five porticos or five covered 
porches. And the pool that we're talking about today is the pool of Bethesda. And this word Bethesda can refer to house of mercy. Some scholars actually call it that because that's what it would mean in the original language. And the cripple and the blind couldn't go into the temple, so they would be outside the temple laying around this pool. And a pool like this would represent at times an ancient hospital because water was believed to have healing properties. So it was actually quite normal for those that were lame and crippled and blind to be around a pool like this. And Jesus approaches this one man. Interesting historical fact. Sometimes scholars are people that don't always believe that this story actually exists or it really happened. It's a fictitious story in some people's minds because the pool of Bethesda was never actually found. And so here we have this these scholars out there that don't really necessarily believe that the pool of Bethesda or this situation happened. But guess what? In 19... 19- 60s, the Pool of Bethesda was uncovered by archaeologists. And if you've ever been to Israel, which it is my understanding the Northwest Church goes to Israel about every couple years. Is that every every year? We're missing this year, though. We missed. missed, No, we didn't miss this year, did we? We're not going next year. We're going the year after that. Anyways, I've been to Israel with my wife. It was incredible. But you'll you'll remember at St. Anne's Church, right outside of there, is the Pool of Bethesda, and that was uncovered in the 1960s. And so we're just so thankful that archaeology is finding out that what it's said in the Bible is true. Come on, somebody. All right. At this point, opposition toward Jesus' ministry is growing. And one of the main reasons is because of what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath. This is one of the major opposition, oppositional points that the religious leaders of the day had. They were always looking for the moves that Jesus was making on the Sabbath, and they're wondering, can he even do this? Well, why would they think that? In Leviticus chapter 23, it basically says, you shall work six days and do no work on the Sabbath. And wouldn't you know the Mishnah or the, what we would call the oral law, the, the tradition sometimes the New Testament will refer to, there are 39 stipulations or interpretations on what work means. There are times in the Bible, like Leviticus 23, where it will say, do no work on the Sabbath. And it purposely is somewhat ambiguous. Work just means work. But there are 39 additional stipulations that some had written and passed on as tradition to define what work actually meant. So you can imagine when Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath or when he did something on the Sabbath, people in their mind were going, can he do that? (laughs) What would you be like if you had 39 rules in your mind of what work meant and you saw Jesus do what he was doing? But we know that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Come on, somebody. We see later in the story how the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of that time were very seriously opposing Jesus. In fact, they questioned this man that gets healed and they wanted to know who healed you. Now they know who it was, but they want to bring about testimony to bring forth an accusation. And the man does not even know who Jesus is. He says, I don't know who healed me. He just, but the man healed me and he said, pick up your bed and walk. And so I did. And the story is not just about healing. It's about Jesus confronting the religious structure of the day It's about the compassion that Jesus has just for the one. He walks up just to one. There are many who need healing. And we see his compassion. We see the opposition to his ministry. We see the power of Jesus in this story. But in the midst of all that is happening, we have an encounter with Jesus Christ and a man who is laying there lame. And Jesus walks up to him and asks the question, a question that matters. Do you want to be well? And I think this 
is an interesting question because it's almost like asking a drowning man, do you need a hand? It seems like a a no-brainer. Yes, I need a hand. Yes, I want to be well. But I want to look at this question to discover what I think is also there and not just the simple answer, seeing that it's not just a simple question. And I have three points because I'm unashamedly a three-point preacher without a bonus point today. And the first point that I want to bring to you is this, based on this passage. Jesus knows our condition. According to this passage, this man has been in a chronic illness for 38 years. That probably means from birth. Uh, We don't know what illness he has. The Bible actually doesn't say how it is that he was struggling. All we know is that it somehow has caused him to not be able to walk because it says he has a mat. If you have a mat, that's essentially a bed. So wherever you end up, you're probably going to stay there overnight. So he carried around a mat. He probably couldn't walk. We don't exactly know what it was, but it was debilitating to say the least. And before Jesus asked this man the question, it says in the scripture right here, it says that he already knew. Jesus already knew what was going on with him. This terminology is the same word that you would find in the Bible where it says, and Jesus knew what they were thinking. Don't you love that, how Jesus is sitting at a dinner table, and it says he knew what was in their thoughts. Everybody says, oh, I I would really love to be around Jesus when he was here in his earthly ministry. Not always. (laughs) I mean, we say that, but then when you're sitting there at the dinner table and he knew their thoughts, I mean, that would be a little squirmish for some of us. Jesus says, do you want to be well? He was not ignorant of this man's situation. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there are many of you like me in the room. I'm pretty stubborn when it comes to being sick. Like, it takes a lot for me to get to the doctor. Now, if you're a doctor, a nurse, a medical professional of any kind, I just want you to know, I like you. I just don't always enjoy going to your office. It's just how I am. I'm a bit stubborn. I can admit it. I'm growing. Pray for me. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you. But I'm confessing, and you should confess too. It's very healing. It's awesome. It's powerful. But I'm that stubborn person where I darn near have to have a broken leg to go to the doctor. It's like, I think I should go to the doctor. I mean, this is is not normal, you know. And I have my wife who's always trying to help me uh, in my life by saying, no, it's really good, Mr. Stubborn Man, that you go to the doctor. I really appreciate her and her uh, encouragement in those times. But But what happens to me because I'm so stubborn is by the time I get to the doctor, I have these really unrealistic expectations. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it took so much for me to come see you, and now you, you got to have the pill that fixes it all. I mean, you need to give me the five easy steps of how I'm going to get better. I really expect after seeing you that tomorrow morning I am going to wake up and feel better because I'm here. And, 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 I, and, and it took me this long to be here, and now I'm here, and you are gonna, you're going to help me. And you know what ends up happening? Same thing every time. Like, I could, my leg could be unhinged, and it's like, oh, it's just, sir, it's just a rash. <laughs> it's like, are you sure, <laughs> you know? And you realize that as, as far, as much progress as we, as we have made as a society, that we're still just people. We're trying to help each other, and I appreciate the medical community, and I will come see you and not be stubborn. But no matter, no matter what is going on, we get help, but ultimately, like, nobody's God but God. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And when I get there, it's like, oh, sir, you have a virus, which means that we're not totally sure what's going wrong with you. I know the lingo. 
There are millions of viruses. When you tell me I have a virus, it means that there is no medicine that can fix what you have, and we're not even sure what it is. And that's usually what happens to me, and just, it just deflates me. Like, oh, I'm not going to get fixed. But I get let down. But I want to tell you something. There is one that always knows the condition that we're in. Now, as much as I love the medical professionals and counselors, it's the same thing. If you're a counselor, I love you. We need you. I'm grateful for you. I'm glad that you love Jesus. Thank you. Helping people. But sometimes you experience this as well. People will come into your office and it took a lot for them to get there and they really put a high expectation. I'm coming in here and I'm giving you $150 an hour and I'm paying you so you're going to fix me. And how many of you know that's not exactly how it happens? Right? And counselors know in the back of their mind, you know, this is, I think, 12 months later, I'm not sure how far we're going to get because it's not about giving you five easy steps. It's about asking good questions to move each other along where we need to be. And by the way, we need to be closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And so we find that Jesus is the one that always knows our condition. He's not ignorant whatsoever, whether it's physical, emotional, relational. He knows the causation. He knows everything that's going on. And for Jesus to be personal to us, we must consider that he knows everything about us. When you and I sit with Jesus, when we sit and we have a time, a devotional time of prayer, and hopefully that's every day, but when we sit there, we have to realize like he knows everything that's going on right now. He knows, he knows exactly what's going on in my heart. The Bible says that he knows our names. It says he, know, he knows the hairs on our head. Now, I don't think that's a real, like, he knows every hair because they're less and less on my head. But the point is that he knows us deeply, intimately, in a detailed way. He knows you. He knows me. When you sit with him, we need to know that. He knows everything that's going on with me right now. And that doesn't sound comforting, but it should be because he also loves us at the same time. We can trust that not only what he knows, but what he says is always true. And a lot of times when we come to Jesus, we ask him, we say, Lord, I want you to speak to me. Lord, I pray that you would help me to understand where I'm at, what's going on. But a lot of times we don't say it, but we're asking him, Lord, would you speak to me about what's in this box? Anybody else built a box? I want you to speak to me about this situation. I want you to speak to me about this thing. I want to know why I feel the way that I do. And you know what he'll do? He'll speak to us outside of the box. That's what he'll do. Because what's going on in the box has nothing to do with how we feel. And that's why he's so good at asking questions. When we come to him, we have to have a blank slate. We have to be willing to hear whatever he wants to say because he's often talking to us about things that are not in the box. He's drawing us to a new place, a better place, a higher place so that we can see what he sees and become what he wants us to become. But he'll challenge us beyond our boxes God, you're not answering me. He probably is, but he's speaking about something different than what we're asking because what we really need to hear is what he sees and not just what we think it might be. This passage says that there were many at the pool that were sick, yet Jesus approaches this one man. Don't you love how Jesus stops for the one? The scriptures give us this type of detail because God wants us to know that he sees us and he knows us. He's personally acquainted with us on every level, in every way, and at every stage of life. He knows the symptoms, the root causes. He knows our pain, and he knows our excuses. Everybody breathe. 
He knows our excuses. Before we hear the prognosis for our lives, we need a proper diagnosis, and there's really one who knows how to properly diagnose who we are. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to hide and harbor the condition that we're in when Jesus wants to speak right to it. He wants to do that, and so we have to just let him be God in our, in our lives. Lord, speak to me. Whatever you have to say, I, I just want to hear it. Whether it's hard to hear or not, whatever it is, just don't stop speaking to me. Help me to have an open heart. I was in a car. I don't know if I should say this, but I figure I'm knee-deep, so game on. I was in a car with a friend of mine, and he was telling me the struggle that he's having with sin and a, a cyclical sin in his life that he can't overcome. So he tells me all that, and I listen, and, and I'm compassionate. You know why? Because I also can sin. <laughs> so I don't have to say amen, but it's, I know. Yeah, you're all real sanctified. <laughs> We're on a journey. It's, it's, it's really true, but he's telling me about his sin, and, and, and he's frustrated, and he hates his sin. Amen? Just like every, all of us. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be clean and pure and holy in his eyes. And, and we are salvationally because of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. But we want to be sanctified in our lives. Everybody truly does that's born of the Spirit. And so he's talking to me about that. And then he gives me the five reasons why he's stuck in his cycle of sin. And this is why I do what I do, because I'm this and I'm that and I'm that. And, because of, and, and, and you, you never really realize it, but when you self-diagnose, when you, here's the problem and here's why I do all of the things that I do, we sort of self-diagnose. You know, a lot of times we're wrong. I do this because of this, and I'm listening to him, and the more he's talking, the more intellectual it got, and I just, honestly, I just checked out. It's just one, two, three, four, five, here's why I do, and I'm going like, oh, I'm drowning in this intellectualism, and I just stop him, and I say, hey, man, what if you're wrong? And he goes, what? I go, what if you're struggling with X has nothing to do with everything you've just told me? What if you're wrong? What if your struggle that you have right now is actually a response or a reaction to other things that are going on in your life, and Jesus can speak right to it, but instead of asking him, you've developed a box for which you think you understand your problem. Now, I don't know if Dr. Phil told you what was wrong with you or whoever did. I'm not sure, but you got to go to Dr. Jesus too. He knows the condition. And you know what that means? We don't have the physical Jesus with us. We have the Word of God. The proximity that we have to the Word of God helps us to understand what we're walking through and what Jesus is calling us towards. And let me just say it really clearly. We have to have a proximity to the Word of God in our daily lives. It's not just this religious thing that we ought to do. It's a book of life that we need. Don't you love it when you're reading the Word of God and it starts to strike your heart and you know, you know that you needed it. Amen. It's not just about acquiring knowledge. It's about having life change. Amen. And that's what we need in our lives. He knows our condition. Number two, Jesus wants us to know our condition. Now, He knows, but He wants us to know, which, by the way, is why He asks these provocative and probing questions. He says to the man, do you want to be well? There are two words here that are very important. The first is want. This could also be translated desire. Sometimes it'll say, do you wish? It's a desire. Is it your desire? He's speaking to his heart. Is it your desire? Is this something that you want? I know you're here. I know you showed up at church. I know you took the class. 
I know you're sitting in marriage counseling, but is it your desire? Come on, somebody. Is it, your des- is it something that you want, or is it something that, that you think, oh, I kind of should do this? But it is, is, it what, is it really what you want? The first word is, is want or desire. The second word is well. This is not just a word for healing. This word means to be whole, to be sound. Do you desire to be whole? Is it what you want? Because listen, it's not just relief. Do you want relief? Everybody wants to feel a little better. When you got a headache, you just want relief. But if the headache keeps coming back, you realize, I don't just need relief when it comes. I need something deeper that can bring a greater change than just the relief in the moment, right? I want whole change. I want to be whole. I would say to you this way, do you want your life to change? Do you want your life to change? The man's answer, as far as I can tell, is stating that it is, is his desire for him being there. That's at least as far as I can tell. It seems that he might give an excuse. I've heard that before, but it seems like, yes, I, I want to be well. In his answer, somebody needs to bring me down. If Jesus were to ask you, do you want to be well, what would he be referring to in your life? Do you want life change? Now, I'm bringing it to a parallel here. It might not be physical, but what about emotional What is it that holds us back? Do you desire to be whole? What's the area that he would target in in your life? I was thinking this morning about how we often listen to the word or even read the word. We read something or we hear a sermon and we go, oh, that's so good for (laughs) so-and-so. I do it too. I mean, it's just, uh, it's universal. (laughs) You know what self-righteousness is? Self-righteousness is where we're more concerned about someone else's repentance rather than our own. going to leave that there. <laughs> if the shoe fits, kick it off. Stop wearing that shoe. All right. I was, uh, I bought a, a couple years ago, three, four years ago, I bought an investment. I was involved in real estate and m- my family and I did like 20 something whole house flips and all that stuff. Let me, first of all, let me just tell you, it's not HGTV out there, people. <laughs> all right. The numbers and the, the, the stories and the tw- little 20-minute show, it's not how it really is, okay? Let me save you some money, and let me save some of you your marriage. It's not for everybody, okay? It's just not. So you're welcome. That'll minister to you at some point. But we, we bought an investment out three or four years ago. I don't, it was a while ago. Anyways, I bought this three-bedroom condo, and it was a good deal. And I thought, man, this is a long-term investment. This is going to be amazing. Uh, this, is the, uh, this was the right place that I was looking for. Brand new carpet, new paint, looked really nice, good area. I thought it was a slam dunk. You know, I wanted to keep it for a long time. There was this weird smell. It was like a smoke smell. And I was like, oh, I know how to do that. I know how to get rid of that. We'll just baptize it. We'll just kill it, literally kills it. <laughs> we'll baptize that thing in kills and repaint it. No, no problem, right? So I bought the place and um, we did. We baptized the whole thing with kills. We primed everything and then repainted it. And it looked brand new. We moved some people in. Well, the smell didn't go away, but it changed, and I was always like, oh, there's something weird. Maybe we need to like open the windows and do all that. And you, you, everybody gives you advice like you need one of those uh, units that cleanse the air or whatever. You know, I don't, some voodoo stuff. I don't, I don't really know. It's like, you know, it just purifies the air. It's like you can't see it. So it's, I always struggle with that kind of stuff. But, but anyhow, so I get all that. And, and the smells, there's a different kind of smell there. We moved some friends in and they're renting the place from us. And and they were constantly calling us, hey, something's wrong, this smells, this thing smells. So I'm, I go in there and I'm replacing this and replacing that, and it's still not going away. 
Does this sound like anybody's life in here? This is, it's still not going away. And it's like creating anxiety. This thing is creating anxiety in me and frustration and potentially a little anger. But anyhow, that's, 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 I'll t- tell on myself today. All of this, by the way, is somewhat cleansing, I'm sure. <laughs> real life, people, real life. We knew there was a real problem when mold started growing on their clothes in the closet. And then underneath the bed, um, our friend, the, the lady, she had ballerina shoes from when she was a girl. They were real sentimental, and mold started growing on the shoes underneath their bed. So that was a real bad one. So we knew there was a problem, so we moved them out, and we got in there, and, and we had somebody come in and conduct a mold test, and lo and behold, there was a lot of mold, and they, they come in with the infrared thing and do all that. I remember going through that period of time, and all I can say is like, I just knew that the problem was bigger. I would get counsel from different professionals. Not like the guy down the street that's like, hey, here's all you need to do. Not that guy. I didn't call him. But I was talking to professionals. And some people would say to me, Ben, all you got to do is put some louver doors up because it's just an airflow issue. It's just airflow. You need to change the heaters. And it's all about airflow. And I, I love that counsel. It sounded inexpensive. It was massaging my heart, like sounded inexpensive, it sounded like doable, all of that. Yeah, that's what the problem is. The problem is airflow. That's all it is. But something in my mind was like, you got to rip out the wall. Something in my, it just kept, and I want to do things right. I'm that way. I'll negotiate until that end point where I always end up doing the right thing. My wife can attest to this. But it takes me a while to to get there because I want to make sure that I'm not going to spend all this money that we don't have. Literally. So anyways... I just said to myself, let's just take out the laundry, the laundry wall. We took out the wall, and there was about two feet of black mold on the inside of the wall. And it went all the way around. And this laundry room touches the living room, the bathroom, and the hall. And I could see all the way down. And I'm like, oh, we're in trouble. So I ripped out all the sheetrock. And I found, I mean, it was disgusting. It, I mean, it, every, the ceiling, every, you, okay, it was just bad. So we took out all the insulation, and we, we did it right, all right? It cost us, you know, one of our children. We used to have more children. We, <laughs> we uh, <clears throat> cost us a child, and uh, we've scrubbed the pictures. It's, uh, it's okay. We, uh, figured I'd just give full confession today. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, it, we, it was actually two. I should have said that up front. It was, it's more than one. It was a lot of money. So... You know, I didn't want to look behind the walls. I just remember feeling like I, d- I don't want to go that far. I don't think I need to go that far. But you know what it was is that I, I had that suspicion that something is really deeply wrong, but I didn't want to go that far, right? You ever been like that? It's costly because once you see it, you can't unsee it. You're accountable to it. When you go behind the wall of anything in your life, for example, You cannot unsee it. You can try to avoid it, but it's going to be that lurking voice behind you like, I know that the mold is there, and it's not going to change until I deal with it. You have to deal with it. You know what Jesus wants? He wants us to know our condition. It's not just enough that we know he knows it. He wants to bring us into the know. There is no value in ignorance whatsoever. In our relationship with God, you hear him say things like, I know the plans I have for you. 
right? He knows everything, but he wants us to bring us into the know. He wants to help us understand what he alone knows so that we can walk with him and partner with him. You know, he wants to partner with us in the process of sanctification. And if that weren't true, then you and I would already be perfect. He finds value in the process of walking with us to become Christ-like. And so when he speaks to us or asks us a question, he's not messing with us. He's trying to help us see something from his vantage point so that we can go behind the walls and deal with all that stuff so that it doesn't keep coming up in our life one year after another. And that's really what he's about. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to see what's behind the walls? Because if you do, you have to have a corresponding commitment to do with Christ whatever it takes to remove the mold. You have to be willing to do that. And I know sometimes it's intimidating. Some of us are addicted to gossip or slander or what about pornography? I'm not guilting you. I'm just saying you, you, we can't avoid these things in our life. What we'll do is we'll minimize how bad it is. Well, it's not that bad. Remember God's chisel skit that we had last week and when God was talking to Wade. It was like, you have a lust problem. And he was about, oh, oh, no, I don't have a lust problem. I thought I wasn't doing that bad. I thought I was doing pretty good. And that's what we do. I, I'm doing pretty good, but it's still there. But you see, we minimize the problem. We reduce our lives down to the level of our oppression. And we don't realize all that we're doing is we're just slowing down on the path to destruction. Maybe I've slowed down, but I'm still on the wrong path. And this isn't about trying to make everybody feel like you're supposed to be perfect, but what I'm trying to get us out of is avoiding the stuff that's really there. You know, if you don't end up having some kind of destruction happen in your family, in your marriage. Sometimes we'll have these abrupt things that will happen, but a lot of times if you fall off a cliff, you had to walk up that hill. And all the while we're walking up that hill, and it might not be a climb up the hill, but it's this walk, and we walk up the hill, and then we fall down we fall down the cliff and we go, well, how did that happen? All the while we walked all the way up. And so when the warning light comes, Jesus wants to help us understand our condition and not minimize it. See, you could, here's the thing. I'm talking to you today. I'm just a man. I'm just a man. Some of the things that I say are my opinion. Prune those. But God is God. And his words have to be front and center in our lives. We have to come humbly before God and say, what do you see? Like David said, if there be any wicked way in me. God, if there is any little residual of a wicked way in me that I'm avoiding, that I'm not acknowledging, would you prune me? Would you help me? Would you purify me? That, that has to be the disposition of, of, our, of our hearts. This is the kind of humility that that God calls us to, to walk in. You know, Lord, I want to know my condition before you. I want to know where I'm at. And I want you to prune me and I want you to purify me. The third and final point is Jesus speaks to our condition. When he asked the man the question, his response was, he said, do you want to be well? I have nobody to lower me down. And Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk. He says, I want you to rise up. I want you to get up. He speaks to his condition. And the man thinks this is the way that it's got to happen. That's what happens. This is what I need God to do. But then he just says, no, you don't. You don't need to get in the way. Just get up and pick up your mat. And the guy responds to Jesus. This man was at the pool for some kind of hope that he could get healed from these waters. He thought, I'm here because this is where I need to be in order to receive the healing that I need. The people of that time believed in a sort of magic you know that story about the angel stirring the waters? There's no historical evidence at all. I can't find any 
historical evidence at all that there was ever a supernatural occurrence at the pool of Bethesda. I've heard people say it, but you can't find it in any book. I would, I would love to read about that, but you, you can't find a time where somebody saw an angel actually stir the waters and somebody got in and then got healed. It didn't happen. It's what we call a biblical myth. It was accurately recording a myth, something that they believed. They believed in magic. And I think sometimes we'll look at a story about ancients in the Bible and we'll think, yeah, they, they believed in that kind of stuff because they just weren't very smart. Like today, we're really smart, we're really sophisticated today. We really know a lot today that they didn't know. And so, you know, if they would have known then what we know now, then they wouldn't have thought that. Really? Really? I was reading like an ancient book about uh, from Egyptians and they, would, they believed that if you would take like the fat of a crocodile and a bat and a, a tooth from a rhino or something and you mix all that together, kind of like a witch's brew, if you take all that and you mix it together and you put it on your, men put it on their balding head that they would grow their hair back. <laughs> Some kind of magic, you know. I think it's Rogaine personally. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I think Rogaine is. That's just... Oh, we're really smarter, right? We just changed the name, ladies and gentlemen. We got our own magic. Do you know that we have our own magic today? 21st century modern world. The ancients were dumb, right? They, they didn't know. They didn't know what we know. No, no, they did. They were just still subject to their own stories that they told themselves, and we have our own today. Like, hey, time heals all wounds. No, it does not. Does time heal all wounds? Jesus heals wounds. Jesus speaks to our condition. Jesus has a word for what we're going through. Jesus has a word to get us out of where we are, to walk us through where we are to where he wants us to be. But time does not heal all wounds. You're struggling, you're suffering, you're going through a difficulty. It's not just about time. It's time with God. It's time with Jesus. It's time in his word. We have our own stories. We have our own delusions. We have our own lies that we believe, that we tell each other. We have all kinds of, hey, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Stock market's going to go up. Everything's going to be fine. You know, it'll come back around. Sometimes it doesn't. We have our own magic. Do you want to be well? Ah, I do, but I need somebody to toss me into the waters after the angel comes. So I do, but there's no way for me to have that because somebody else is going to get there. Somebody is bound to get what I want. And so really, although I want it, there's no way for me to have it. Well, what if Jesus came and he asked the question because he wanted to change the way you thought? That he can heal you, but he's not going to do it the way that we asked him to do it. He can touch our lives, he can change our lives, but he's not going to do it in the way that we think he's going to do it. This is often what I think happens to us. He addresses the realities of our life, the word of God addresses the condition of our hearts. And he has something to say. He has a clear answer that he wants to give to us. Wanting to be well is not merely a, a yes to the question. It's a commitment to whatever his answer is. Do you want to be well? Yes. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Does the yes still remain once the answer is given? It's not just about the question and answering the question it's about the commitment to the answer when it's given. And that's the arduous process of becoming a disciple who is whole and healed and reproduces life and gives that away to other people. This is what God calls us to. 
He knows how to direct us, but we have to let him deal with what distracts us. He knows how to sustain us, but we must give him those things that drain us. I worked hard on that. That was good. You're welcome. Can I tell you this? God has a word for you. God has a word for you. Are we available to his word? The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Wherever we are is not where we're just supposed to be and supposed to stay. We're on the path of becoming like Christ. And Jesus will walk up to us and he'll say, do you want to be whole? Do you want to change? Do you want to grow? And if we say yes, we have to be willing to hear what comes next. But what comes next is not always the thing that we think he's going to say. I'll close by saying this to you. I, we, we, had a, we had a ministry director's meeting this week, and I was just sharing. And, and sometimes people will say women speak three times more than men. Well, in our home, I speak three times more than my wife. Okay, so that's... So I, I'm just letting you know. You can judge me for that, but that's whatever. So I sometimes will share, and then I'll need to prune what I said. Now, I'm just admitting that to you, and I'm your preacher, so there you go. And, uh, and I'm not inviting all of your correction right now, although I'm sure that you've probably had your own mental edits. But I want to remind you, when you stand on a stage and talk in front of a lot of people every weekend, yeah, you got some things that are going to come out of your mouth that need some edits. So, and I get plenty of messages, and I love you, and lots of books indirectly you want me to do. It's, I love you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, but somebody had said something in response to what I had said. I had made this comment. One of our leaders said that they didn't resonate with what I had said, and they felt like they were checking out after I said this certain thing. And they had uh, the courage to share it with me. So they just did, and they shared it very humbly and honestly, and I was very grateful. Well, after that meeting, I had six hours of painting in, in my house. So I went to go paint for six hours by myself. That's dangerous for a person that usually talks a lot because now I'm just listening. And I felt something happen to me in my heart when one of our leaders shared with me what they did. It, it went to my heart. And so I stood before God, painted before God, and I said, Lord, um, if there's anything in me that I'm missing or I need, would you speak to me? I want to know my condition, but you know, I also want to know what's your answer. What are you saying to me? He doesn't just want me to know that I'm not awesome. He just wants, he wants, Ben, I'm grow, I'm developing you, and here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to step into. And the Lord spoke to me, and this is what he shared with me. As I've transitioned here, right, We're, we've been here just past three months, and you know, you are all I got. <laughs> me, besides my family, we, we, the drawbridge went up once we passed Seattle, <laughs> it's amazing. You know, you just don't hear from people as much as you used to. Your friends are all, we, this is it. This is all I got. And, and I'm grateful for that. But I just want you to know, as, as I, I didn't realize that I was going through transition and I was in need of pruning. You're going through transition with me and maybe with others in the church, what we're going through together. But we're, our family's going through it as well. And I just didn't realize. So the Lord spoke to me and said, there are battles that you had that you no longer have, but you're still fighting them. And I realized that, the, and, it, and there are thoughts that you had that, that no longer fit where you are. And I just realized I needed a pruning of the Lord. 
And he spoke to me. Isn't that awesome that God is so gracious to give you that? I knew something was like in me, something was a little off. But he was like, there are battles that you have that you no longer have. There are thoughts that you had in one context that don't fit in this one. And the Lord spoke to me. And I'm just telling you, friends, Jesus has a word for every one of us right where we're at today. The Holy Spirit will speak to us, and he wants to do that. And I want to pray that he'll do that for us this morning, wherever we're at. Amen? Will you stand in the presence of the Lord? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning, and we just pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to our hearts, and that when we hear you say, do you want to be well, our answer to you is yes. But our commitment to you is that we would have ears to hear, that we will humble ourselves to listen, and we will commit ourselves to obey. And so what I pray over our church this morning is I ask for the grace to obey your word when you speak to us. And I just pray for any of us this morning that find ourselves in a confusion. I pray that you would bring clarity right there. Lord, you're not confused at all. You shed light on those issues in our life, and you can bring us right out of the confusion, giving us clarity that we would walk in the light as you are in the light, and we can have fellowship with one another. And so, Lord, we ask for greater and closer communion with you and greater and closer community with one another. Help us to take those steps, and whatever that means, whatever that looks like, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, as you go, be strengthened by God's word, be filled with his spirit, be mindful of his voice, be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen. We're so glad you were able to join us today. We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.